All right, let's dive into God's Word. Take out the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door, and I'll draw your attention to the fill in the blank with a couple thoughts. We are in part 68 of our Being Jesus series, and I entitled today's message, As It Should Be. And I just want to begin with a with a thought. Do you realize that God is remaking you into his image? Do you know that? Are you excited about that? Because sometimes it seems like when we think about God changing us or transforming us, we have this attitude of, dang, that's going to hurt. Right? I mean, we have this bit of a shy away, like, oh no, he's going to start taking out stuff out of my life. And we, and we kind of have a hesitancy of what's it going to cost? What's it going to cost? What's it going to cost? All right. And, and although that is true, yes, there is some garbage he needs to take out. How about we flip that around and think and dwell and dream on what he's bringing in? Right? I mean, because a lot of times we're always thinking about what we'll lose, but we don't think about what we're going to gain. Now, I would suggest to you that if you take out the trash, God can put in new furniture. You know what I'm saying? Uh, we want that. Do you, do you want what God is bringing in? I, I know it's hard, but I think you do. So let's for a moment dream. What would it be like if God has his way with us? Let's say that when God is done with you, that there is freedom. Let's say for a moment that there are certain things in this world you cannot do. There are certain streets you cannot drive down. That there are certain stores you cannot go into. That there are certain people you can't hang around. There are certain things you can't watch because of addiction. Let's say that's holding you back. But what God wants is full freedom, full redemption to where you can go where you want, walk where you want, see what you want, and that you don't have to sweat it. Doesn't that sound good? Man, what about, what about relationally? I bet you anything that you would love to make more friends. I believe that you would love to have deeper connection with people, but you have that dang insecurity thing that screws up all your friendships. But what if God removed out the insecurity, placed a very solid identity, and then you were able to wander through life looking and meeting and enjoying the gold around you? What if you could just walk around and not worry about me and man, how do I look and am I okay? And I'm a, what if Jesus fixed that stuff? I want you to start dreaming because if you begin to appreciate what he's bringing in, you're not sweating what he's taking out. You know what I mean? You know, you think about it, uh, going to the gym, right? Uh, I'm trying to remember back when I did that. And uh, so anyway, back then that... The idea was that you would go to the gym, right? And then you'd get sore because your muscles are getting torn down. And what was so funny about it is sometimes, if you're an irritating personality, sometimes you do this kind of thing. Dude, I'm back from the gym, man. Am I sore? Sore, man. I'm sore from the gym. It's hard to sit down because I just got back from the gym. Super sore, right? And you're like, yeah, you said the word gym like 14 times. We get it. You were at the gym, all right? But it's, it's almost like the soreness is a badge of honor because you know even though you just got torn down, your body's going to kick in and rebuild it and you are going to be stronger than you were before, right? Well, in the same way, spiritually, 
Here's the guarantee. When God tears down that which is flesh, we know that the Holy Spirit is going to kick in. He's going to energize and infuse, and you're going to be stronger spiritually than you were before. Amen? All right. All right. Five people thought that was awesome. Okay. Praise God. All right. Woo! <laughs> it's the idea that you would go, man, you know, I'm spiritually, uh, man, I'm spiritually wiped out. I can't wait for what the refreshment's going to bring. You know what I'm saying? That's awesome. All right. So here's the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of us. God wants to restore our hearts. God wants to restore our hearts. He is not okay with any lack. He is not okay with minimal fruit. He is not okay with bad fruit. He will make sure, not just for his glory, but for your joy, he will make sure that great, lovely, and huge amounts of fruit are coming out of your life. But that's going to require some adjustments along the way. All right, let's go ahead and get into the scriptures. They're all going to be... uh, combination passages we're gonna have up on the screen for you i also brought visuals right so i could use my super powered laser pointer all right so i'm going to be using that a little later be nervous all right okay so we're going to go ahead and start this i want to recap real quick what happened last week last week when we were together jesus came from jericho and he healed two blind men you remember that he healed two blind men one of them was bartimaeus And he heals blind guys who could see that he was the Messiah when the people who could see didn't know that he was the Messiah. You understand what I'm saying? And then he heals them. They come along with him. And along the way up to Jerusalem, doing an 18-mile hike, 3,300-foot elevation climb, as he's going up there, he picks up some stuff along the way. One of the things he picks up is what? It's It's a donkey. He climbs up on the donkey and he's riding in. We know all that was layer upon layer of prophecy. And we we talked about all that last time. And then before he gets into Jerusalem, he just starts weeping over it and pronounces that it's going to be destroyed. Heavy day. He comes in. People are throwing palm branches on the ground. They're throwing their jackets on the ground. They're shouting Hosanna and the Messiah's here. And Jesus goes fully public as the messianic jew that they've been waiting for all right well he finishes out the day after a long day a lot of hiking all this stuff and he walks in looks around at the temple and the gates were being shut he closes it down and he goes home we are now if that is sunday we are now on monday morning and that's where our story begins today let's go ahead and throw the first scriptures up on the screen it looks like this In the morning, and we're talking really early, on the following day, we'll call it Monday, when they came from Bethany, where he was staying overnight with his buddies, about two miles away, he was returning to the city of Jerusalem, and he was hungry. Okay, that's not like a proverb, that he's just hungry, because although he is fully God, he is also fully man. And when you're fully man, you get hungry. So when Jesus fasts, do you remember the 40-day fast and said, and Jesus was hungry? It meant he was really hungry. You know from the story of the Garden of Gethsemane, when we cover that, how human Jesus truly was. He got tired and he got hungry. And you would kind of go, yeah, he's the son of God. It doesn't matter. The dude's still hungry. All right? I just recently joined a, a, a brother of mine. 
in a fast. And I always thought that when you fasted, you became more holy. No, you become like the devil. <laughs> You're like mean and agitated all the time. And the, I did my family just like, oh, dad's fasting. All right, let's go ahead and just get moving on here, right? Don't ask him any questions. You know, it's that kind of thing. So Jesus wasn't fasting. He was just up and he was hungry and he probably just kind of ate pretty lean anyway. And so seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, which means ready for fruit, it's by the wayside, which means it's public property and they can pick off of it. He went to see if he could find anything on it to eat. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. That was still about a month, two months away. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Another gospel writer said, may no fruit ever come from you again. And his disciples heard it, and the fig tree withered at once. Okay, a couple corrections. Uh, I don't think the disciples saw that it withered at once. I think that maybe if one or two of them saw that it started to change, they're going to find out tomorrow morning and Jesus is going to teach on it. This time they see him curse something, curse a fig tree. And they're listening to what he says and they're just as confused as we are. Why did the fig tree begin to wither? Because the king of creation told it to. Do you understand that the clouds do not cover the land unless the king of creation sends them. Do you understand that the birds do not get their food unless the king of creation wills it to be? Do you understand that the king of creation determines when waterfalls start and where waterfalls go? Do you understand that glaciers, whether they break off into the ocean, is upon the determination of the king of creation? That's Jesus. So when Jesus says something to his creation, it's going to respond because creation knows he's king. Remember, Jesus said last time we were together, he said, if you don't praise, even the rocks will cry out because they know who I am and they'll get ready to go. You know what I mean? Okay, so now we have a situation where one time he's on the water and he's in a boat and all of a sudden the wind and the waves come up and they start getting a little crazy. What does he do? King of creation stands up, says, boy, shut it down. And everything quiets. That's the king of creation. In the same way, we now look at this. He walks by, sees a fig tree. It's not as he wants it. And he curses it and instantly it withers. Why? Because the king of creation said so. All right. But what in the world is this all about? Man, all us, all us tree huggers are like, dang, that's mean. What's wrong with you, Lord? It's not even the season for figs. You can't curse a tree that's not supposed to have figs for not having figs. That's just dumb. You can't do that. And the little tree, all he was doing was minding his own business. And you come by and you just got up and you were angry that day. And you start cursing stuff. All right. So... This is how it could be perceived. It could be perceived that Jesus was being like a ticked off little tyrant, right? Uh, how dare you not have any fruit? Forget you. I'll curse you because I was hungry and you didn't help me out. That is absolutely not what's occurring here. As a matter of fact, this is really, really deep. Here's how this kind of goes. Jesus is hungry and he's walking along and, the, and he looks forward and he sees a fig tree 
that looks like it's going to have something to eat. That's awesome. When you're hungry and you see something to eat, that's great, right? During my fast, some of you look like pork chops. <laughs> some of you look like steak, okay? I'm just saying, I'm just saying. So he's looking out and he sees this tree and he's like, great, I'm going to go up there. When there's nothing on it, he does get ticked off. But he gets ticked, ticked off and immediately realizes this is a teaching moment. And he goes into prophetic drama. Prophetic drama is to make a very extreme spiritual point by a very extreme action. And he is now going to demonstrate something deep right here. But we have to understand how fig trees work or else the story doesn't make sense. So here's kind of how it works, and I'm doing this off research. So if any of you are fig tree experts and you see an error in my teaching, email someone else. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right, so here's what happens. The way that it works is that we are near Passover. We are in April. Well, as early as March, fig trees can start prepping, and the first thing they produce is a semi-edible little green bud. Now, those are not the figs. They're like pre-figs. Now, most people don't want to eat them, but the poor people will. So they could go through and know that no one's going to harvest them. So the poor people could go by and grab those buds and kind of nibble on them and eat them. That, I believe, is what Jesus was looking for initially. And all the other trees may or may not have had them. But all of a sudden, there's this one tree that sticks out among all the others. That's why it caught his attention from so far away. It was like, dang, what are you doing with all the leaves? Because the way that it works is you get the buds, then you get the leaves, and the figs come in. So the idea was if you're full in bloom of leaves, you should have some figs in you. This guy's way early. So Jesus is thinking, man, this is my lucky day. I get to have figs way out of season. But he gets there, and not only is there no figs, there's no little buds. The problem with that is, if there's no little buds, there ain't going to be any figs. Okay. So he walks up to it, sees nothing on it, and he curses it. What is the problem? You ready? False advertising. That's the problem. False advertising. This, the leaves were a neon sign that said, find fruit here, find fruit here. And there was nothing. And Jesus is like, that is unacceptable. Sees how that relates to what he's doing, what he's about to go do, and then makes a whole display of it. Huh. Do you realize that Luke doesn't tell this story? Just Matthew and Mark. Luke does tell a fig tree story. Do you know his story? It's a parable of a fig tree. He doesn't tell this one, but he tells that one. Here, here's how the fig tree parable goes. There was a landowner that had a vineyard. And he planted a fig tree in his property, but he went out for three years to see if it had any fruit on it. It didn't. Man, every year it's disappointing. Oh, look, guess what? That one doesn't have any figs. Tells his gardener, we got to get that one out of here. Get rid of it. It's not producing fruit. The gardener says, hold on, let me work on it one more year. Let me clear some stuff out. Let me put some nutrients in. Let me water it a little bit different. Let's give it one more year. And then if it doesn't produce, sure, we'll kill it. And they got a pass. All right. So you got that? Three years, no fruit. All right. 
This is going to become very significant. We now look at what we're walking in right here, and we see a fig tree that doesn't have any fruit. Very similar concept. What is the fig tree? Who does it represent? Israel. Why? In the Old Testament, the fig tree always represents Israel. A lot. What's the problem? False advertising. Here's the bottom line of the whole story. Jesus has been working with Israel. He's been notifying them of what he wants. He's been trying to lead them in a reform of the heart. But not even the little green buds are showing up. And if the little green buds ain't showing up, there ain't going to be any fruit down the road. And he knows that. And what happens when you have a fig tree that is never going to produce any figs? It is no longer useful as a fig tree. And what he does is he shuts it down. Here's the point. Israel looks good. They look, look leafy. They're like, look at me, I'm bushy, right? Because they got all kinds of religious stuff going on. Man, they look better than everybody else. They got the big temple. They got all the show going on. They got everybody fired up about ritual cleansings and mikvahs and this and that. And boy, they sure look like they should be the light of the world. They should be the salt of the earth. But when you get down to it from God's point of view, there's no real fruit of righteousness Uh oh that's gonna be a problem and there's no buds there's nothing that leads you to believe that there's gonna be any true growth from that nation in that way so what's gonna happen to the temple Jesus already told you boom because it's no longer good for anything Wow All right, so let's see what else Jesus has to do. Apparently, Jesus is having a bad day today. Next passage. And they, Jesus' crew, came to Jerusalem, and Jesus entered the temple compound, the temple precincts, the temple area, and he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple courts, and he overturned the tables of the money changers, and he overturned the seats of those who sold pigeons or doves, and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple, and he was teaching them and he's explaining his actions and he said to them is it written is it not isaiah 56 7 my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations but you according to jeremiah 7 11, have made it a den of robbers or bandits cave okay what what just happened jesus went off on people is what just happened jesus has already done one cleansing At the beginning of his ministry, that is recorded in the book of John. This one in the Synoptic Gospels is at the end of his ministry. So the first one was what? A notification. Hey guys, there's a new sheriff in town. I'm the king of this temple. And therefore, I don't like what I'm seeing here. I don't like how you're making this a marketplace. I don't like the whole point of how you're handling worship and who you're shutting down. So I'm shutting you down. And he had a whip. Do you remember that? A whip. And he's chasing the animals out. And he's throwing tables over. And he's going ballistic on everybody. Well, how long did that last? They were probably back the next day. How long ago was that that he did that? Three years ago. We're now at the end of his ministry, three years later. I wonder if we used three years before, something about fruit in three years. Oh, that's right. Now at the end of his ministry, he does it again. The first one was a notification. The end one was a statement of judgment. 
he now goes back in and says, look at this. I've been examining this tree for three years. I'm not seeing anything. I'm not even seeing buds that there's going to be anything. So I'm telling you right now, what you're doing is wrong, and I will pronounce the judgment of what I see. Y'all just get out of here. And he kicks things out and sets up shop. As a matter of fact, for the rest of this week of Jesus' life, he's going to come into the temple where there's a price on his head, and he's going to sit in the middle of it and teach his people and make the temple the way he wants it to be. So let's talk about that. When I mentioned that there was said that there was a temple compound, there's two Greek words for temple that is used. One means the temple proper. The other one means the whole area. So I'm just going to give you a visual and show you what we're talking about. Can we throw up that first screen, please? All right, here you go. Um, have you ever heard uh, in the Old Testament about how God interchanges terms like Jerusalem and Mount Zion together, how he will call them both the same thing? Here's why. The temple compound is 30 acres, roughly, which covers the small little mountain called Mount Zion. So Mount Zion's under it, so why not just call it, hey, Jerusalem, Mount Zion, whatever. It's the same area. All right, so here's the parts that we need to know. This is 30 acres, and this is a 1,300-foot-long wall. This is a 1,000-foot-long wall. But where this occurred was in the big place out here. This is the court of the Gentiles, all right? So we're right here. What is wrong with my pointer? Oh, sad, my super pointer's dying. All right, the court of the Gentiles, you could get in a couple different ways. There were gates from different sides and everything. But when they talk about the temple proper, they actually mean the buildings in the middle. So all the rest are the temple courts. This is where everyone could go. This is where they set up their marketplaces. All right. Let me zoom in from there. Let's go to the closer one. Zoom into the part in the middle. All right. This is the part in the middle. If you would consider all those courts on the outside of the Gentiles, you had to go through a gate called beautiful. Does anybody remember where the gate beautiful is? All right. That was famous because of a story in Acts where there was a a paralyzed man laid at the gate, beautiful, and Peter and John went to the temple one day. When it says they went to the temple, they went here. And they saw the man, and he asked them for money. They said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And that man was healed right there and comes running in here and starts leaping and praising God. Do you remember that story? All right, well... Only Israelites, only Jews can go into this part. Everybody else is welcome out here, but the only Jews go in here. All women and men can be in here in this courtyard, but there's another gate. That's called the gate of Nicanor. It's made of Corinthian bronze. One commentator says it takes 20 men to open it and 20 men to shut it. That's a serious gate. All right, super heavy. What does it do? It separates the men from the women. The women are allowed to go all out here. The women are allowed to go in here. But unless they have a specific sacrifice or a need for a priest to help them out in temple service, they are not allowed to go beyond that gate. Inside here is called the court of Israel, which men can go and priests can go. There is the courtyard of the priesthood. They have little slaughtering tables. They have two very famous pieces of... Uh, or items of sacrifice there. They have the, bra- the big, huge burnt offering altar, 
where you kind of burn up all the cow stuff and all the lamb stuff, all that that the priests do, that's in here. And then the big wash basin called the laver, that's for ritual washing, that's inside there. But understand, we have not even got to the God part yet. The God part's in the big building. Do you see the big tall building in the back? That right there is called the holy place. Now you're starting to get into God stuff. Only priests get to go in there. Nobody else gets to go in there. And inside, it's actually one long room separated by a curtain in the back. The major part of the room is called the holy place. In there is what we associate with the temple stuff. For example, there's the table of showbread, 12 loaves of bread for the 12 tribes of Israel, speaking of their provision. There is the big, huge menorah lampstand, speaking of how Israel is the light of the world. There is the, the altar of incense that is always burning continually up before God, like worship rising up before his face. And then in the back of the room, there's a big, huge veil. You know this, yeah? And on that veil is embroidered two cherubim, beautiful, heavy, thick veil. Only one day a year do you ever get to go beyond that. A priest is selected on the day of atonement to go back there and make sure everything is as God wants it. And he gets to minister before the raw presence of God because there's one last item in that back room. What is it? The Ark of the Covenant, right? So Indiana Jones has to go all the way through here and through here and go all the way in. Okay, good. We're all on the same page. Now, the problem is, let's bounce back to that last slide here. The problem is, is that out here was a Gentile court and basically the Jews had allowed it to become just kind of a eh, whatever place. That they were using it as cutting through. They'd cut through from one side to the city. They don't want to go all the way around. They just want to cut right through. And so they set up a marketplace with a bunch of booths all over. There was money changing and animal stuff. And so the animals were making noise and it was messy and it was crazy. And, but what was it designed to be for? Worship. What was it designed to be for? An outreach to the world. Guess what the Jews didn't care about? The Gentiles, who cares if they go to hell? It's not a big deal. So they began to profane the temple, and Jesus wasn't about to have that. There was two primary areas that Jesus attacked right off the bat. There was money changing. A month before Passover, all over the city, all over the area and region, on the Mount of Olives and everything, they set up booths for two things, money changing and animal purchase. They were all over the place, but when it got closer, all those had to shut down, and the only ones you had left were in the temple. Those temple booths were called booths of Annas. What does that mean? Annas was a former high priest. The current high priest is Caiaphas. That's his father-in-law. That means they're getting kickback. They want their booths set up to where they get some cash back. That's the high priest right now. Now, Here's the thing. He goes in about money changing. What's money changing about? Well, it's pretty simple. Is that every Jewish male, 20 years and older, has to do two days wages of a tax called the temple tax. And you pay it around Passover time. The problem is what currency you can use. In the Old Testament, in Exodus 30, it says that it was to be paid in the half shekel of the sanctuary. Problem is, those weren't being made anymore. 
So how do you pay it in a half shekel of the old, you know, the old style when it's no longer around? You've got to have an equivalent. Well, they only came up with two. You can use the half shekel of Galilee or you can use purified Tyrian currency. Everything else that you use. And this is talk about multicultural. These are all the nations of the world coming through. You got Roman currency, Greek currency. You got stuff from Egypt. You got all over the place. They said, nope, you can't use that for God's stuff. You got to change your money out. There's only two things that are legit. So whenever you needed to change your money in order to pay your temple tax, I'll charge you a commission. I'll charge you a fee to change your money. And then check this out. This is kind of lame. If you do not give me an equal amount and I have to give you change, I'll charge you another fee. Now, most all those fees went to the temple, but anytime you're doing commissions and fees that can go anywhere from 12% to 25% and no one quite knows, you know there's some serious abuses going on. People are coming in from out of town. They don't know how this stuff works. And so people are getting gouged. So Jesus throws those over. And it wasn't that he was against money changing. And yes, he is against corruption. It was where it was happening. The second thing was animals. In the animal sacrificial system of the Jews, you sacrifice animals. All right, good. You're with me. You have two choices with your animal. You can bring one from home or you can buy one there. You would say, well, it's 15 times more expensive to buy one there. I'm bringing mine from home. All right, let's say you're traveling 50 miles and you bring your goat named Rick. Now you have Rick and he looks dang good. He's looking fine and shiny and all that stuff. You're walking Rick for 50 miles all the way in and you want to offer him as a sacrifice. The problem is he has to be without blemish or he's not legit. And all of a sudden you come to the priest who has the glasses that's taped in the middle, right? And he's like, oh, look at that animal. You call that a hoof? That's distorted. Okay, the minute he calls your Rick distorted means you can't give it to God. You just walked Rick 50 miles for nothing. You got to go buy another one. And local Rick costs 15 times more. But there's, they have signs out that are like, sacrifice ready, limited time now. That's, they have those all the time, right? You don't have to wonder. So you're either risk it or pay more. Those are your two choices. He threw those tables over too. But what table did he specifically attack? Do you remember? Is he threw over the table of those selling what? Pigeons or doves. Why? That's the normal offering for who? The poor. Remember, don't mess with the poor. That will tick Jesus off really bad. So he threw them over and he starts chasing everybody. He's like, get out of here. This is my home. What was the big problem? You don't love who I love. You don't give them any honor. You are not concerned at all that they came here to be a part with me. I am dying for the sins of the world, not just for you. It's not all about you. The way that the Jews were acting was, well, everything important happens inside this building. Who cares about those people? Jesus said, I care about those people. When you are so inward and focused on yourself, you're dishonoring God. You're missing the mission of God because it is out there. Those are people are dying without any Jesus. And, he's, and we're wrecking it when they're like, hey, who cares? You know, we're going to cut through here. and We're going to do this. and We're going to do that. And we're going to have noise and craziness and smell and blah, blah, blah. It's really hard to pray in that environment. But the Gentiles aren't even allowed in the quiet area. 
And then Jesus makes it like he likes it. Look at the next phrase. Matthew adds, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple. And he what? He healed them. That's how Jesus wants it. Here's what I think. I think there's no better description of church than what we're reading right here. Why? Here is Jesus in the center of his home, in the center of his temple. His presence is so thick. He is teaching his people day in and day out about the kingdom. He's teaching them how to change their hearts and change their minds. He's revealing who he is so they'll love him more. It's Jesus personified in the temple place. When anyone comes in broken, he then heals them and touches them and makes them whole. And when he does all of this, automatically people are praising and praising and praising God's name. Is there a better picture of church than that? And isn't that why we're here? I mean, imagine, imagine if we, the body of Christ, right? God's dwelling here richly. It, it, he's the head, but we're the body. Imagine if he, through us, began to do all this kind of stuff, that anyone that came into this place, you would all minister to them. And whatever the need was, you'd be able to meet it. That you were so locked and loaded with God, you were so excited, you'd pray at the drop of a hat, you'd give to him, you'd minister to him, you'd love on him. The whole society around us would die just to get in these doors. Be near God, be near his people, be ministered to, be loved on. That's what I'm talking about. Amen? I don't know what happened to my voice through that one. Did you guys hear that? I was like, bah, 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 bah. okay, whatever. <laughs> Next line. But when the chief priests and the scribes, the Jewish religious leaders, saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and angry. And they said, do you hear what they're saying? They're treating you like your Messiah, like your God. And Jesus said, yep. Why, have you never read in Psalm 8-2, out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you've prepared praise? What's the issue? Well, the blind guys couldn't see the, could see the Messiah, but the seeing guys couldn't. And now the adults can't see the Messiah, but the kids can. Why? Because their hearts are open and they're not blinded by religion. Unfortunately, how God wants it isn't always how man wants it. And so the passage closes with this. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy Jesus. Why? Because they feared him. Because all the crowd was out of their minds overwhelmed at his teaching. And when evening came and the gate shut, Jesus went home again. Hmm. <clears throat> Any distance from us and God usually is because of our sin and our fear that somehow that sin is going to be messed with. We put the distance there. And I don't think God is okay with distance. I think this is how he wants it. I think that he has a dream for your life and he has things that he wants to implement to where there is 
glory and joy and healing and freshness. And I would hope that the attacks that have to come upon the people of God would come from the outside and not from the inside. I would hope that it's not our broken hearts and our sin that is condemning us every day. I would hope that we would allow Jesus to clean those up and maybe what we'd have to worry about is the world hating us, but we wouldn't have to worry about us hating ourselves. I would hope that when Jesus gets done with us, we have a freedom we have a deep reservoir that we can draw from that gives us margin in our lives. It gives us the ability to have patience with everybody else that doesn't make us so snappish and angry and ready to go off on everybody. I would hope that as God begins to restore us and fix us and make us new, that as he orders his place, that good and great and wonderful things begin to emanate from our lives. That's what we want, yeah? Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for being patient with us. And Father, you have such great, beautiful designs for every one of your kids here. That God, the dreams that you dream are way bigger than the dreams that we dream. The stuff that you have for us is unfathomable. And so Lord, instead of allowing us, God, where our minds wandered all the stuff you want to rip out of our lives, God, would you just for a little while, Allow us to appreciate what you want to bring in. All the joy, the excitement, the fun, the adventure, the lightheartedness, the laughter. And God, just allow us to understand that wherever the spiritual soreness occurs, that God, it's because the Holy Spirit's going to come in and re-strengthen it, and we will be bigger and badder than ever. Father, I pray that you are glorified in this place. I pray that you are glorified in our hearts, in our families, in our lives. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful weekend, and we'll see you next time.